Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy. You doing well? All right. Good morning. It's good to be here. My name's Ben. I'm a youth pastor in Dallas. Anyone from Dallas? Some people claim Dallas. That's good. All right. Proud of Dallas. Um, and the way you might know me the best is I have been a friend of Jacob's for 25 years, which is a very long time. And after 25 years of being friends with someone, you get to preach for him. So... One day, the time will come for you, uh, which is encouraging. Um, But like I said, I'm from Dallas, but I originally grew up right here in College Station, Texas, Aggieland, and my family actually all still live here. So I'm like the one prodigal son that left the promised land and went to sinful Dallas, but that's me. That's my problem. Uh, But my family's still here, and uh, speaking of families, we used to go on these hilarious vacations. I'm sure you've all had stories of your own vacations with your family, but one in particular, I went with them at the age of like eight, nine, or ten to this place called the Hyatt Hill Country Resort near San Antonio. Anyone? Oh, yeah. All right. So you know. Uh, You know where we're going. Uh, And at this place, there's this gigantic pool with like a lazy river around it, and in this pool, there is a waterfall. And as a 10-year-old, you look at this waterfall and you think to yourself, I want to jump off that thing because why not? I'm bored and we want something to do. So I get my brother and my friend Kevin and we go up to this waterfall. And as we're going up there, the walk there has this like mulch, like loose mulch around it and these gigantic cactus bushes. And my brother is not very coordinated. And upon walking up to this waterfall, his foot finds a piece of mulch, and he slips, and he loses balance, and he's struggling, he's flying around, and thankfully, he finds something to catch his fall. Unfortunately, that thing was a gigantic cactus. And when I say cactus, like I want you to think of like the most cartoony type cactus imaginable, with like gigantic needles, gigantic, like five feet tall. It was that. It was like legitimately that. It's weird. I didn't think they existed. And as he's falling, he doesn't just like graze past it, but he bear hugs the thing on his way down. And he just like flattens it like a linebacker, all right? And as he falls into it, these gigantic needles stick into his body, and he's lying there in pain. And I look at him, and I'm sad for him. I'm, I'm sad. I'm upset for him, right? But there's nothing I can do for him, because I'm 10, and I can't carry him. He's already like 150 pounds already, and so I can't muster that weight. But what happened in that moment, and maybe we'll all get here at some point, but I think all parents have this magical child danger sense to them. And out of nowhere, I don't even think we had seen my dad that morning at all, but out of nowhere, like in a puff of a cloud, he just appears magically, and he just knows what to do, because he's a doctor, right? So he knows, he knows exactly, he just picks my brother up, he tucks him under his arm, and he like just runs off like a running back just to the bathroom. And you would think that all would be well. But there's one rule that is super important at swimming pools, and that is do not run. And there's a super good reason why that's a rule. It is a really good rule, guys. <laughs> It's a great rule. 
And so my dad, his foot finds a puddle. You guys are ahead of me. Stay with me, all right? His foot finds a puddle and he just slips. And in that moment, you get this like chariots of fire, just slow motion sequence of and he's like, he's like falling over and then my brother's like flying through the air and, and then as soon as the slow motion's over, he lands, my brother lands and if the needles weren't deep enough, they've now become one with his body, right? They just, you're now needle boy. You know, that's just your identity. That's who you are now. <laughs> so he's in even more pain and I laugh. I'm sorry, Sam. It's not funny. Um, but my dad lands on his knee and blows it out completely. Just end of knee. Don't run at pools, all right? <laughs> Don't run at pools. And eventually he somehow musters his super dad strength and carries him to the bathroom and takes all of his needles. And that night was so interesting. Because <laughs> I'm laying next to my brother uh, we were sharing a bed at that point because we were small enough, and uh, he's just sobbing, and it's sad. It's still sad. We're all still sad. <laughs> because though they can get the long needles out, they can't get the small ones, and there's like, a, like legitimately 123 of them still stuck in his eight-year-old body. And he's sitting there, and he's crying, and my parents thought, you know what? We need to improve the situation. We don't have like any medicine or anything. But what we do have is homemade vanilla bluebell ice cream. And so they just give him this tub, half gallon, and he's just downing it. And as he's downing it, he's crying. And it's like the most bizarre and backward circumstance. And I've never seen someone like cry tears of sadness while eating bluebell ice cream. I didn't think it was possible. But then here we are, right? And it was a great vacation. But what I realize now looking back is that it was so interesting that in the midst of my brother's pain, in the midst of his suffering, we give him ice cream. You know, to cover up that pain and suffering that is lasting, it's needles, it hurts, it's burning. And to give him comfort, we give him ice cream. How weird is that? And I realize now reflecting backward, that this is how we, this is how we react to suffering and pain in our lives. We find the one thing that makes us happy and we go for it, really. Whether that's a relationship, whether that's substances or some kind of experience, we find what makes us happy and then we just devour that one thing, hoping that eventually that suffering and pain will leave us. But yet, no matter how much we intake, that happiness will fade away and the suffering remains. And we have this problem that we have to deal with on a pretty consistent basis of what happens when you have bought all of that happiness and it fades and the suffering still is there. So today we're going to talk about the response to suffering. What is our culture's response to suffering and what is our Lord's response to suffering and what should our response to suffering be? All right, so when I was looking and thinking about, well, how does, how does our culture, how do people respond to the suffering and pain in this world? Because we know that that's true. Right? We know that that is a reality. We've all suffered in some ways, whether it's uh, the smallest little detail to the biggest life situation. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced suffering. And as I'm looking around, I'm looking at pop culture, and I'm thinking, what is the typical response 
to suffering, and I get this. dancing to that. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, why do I use this example? Uh, I notice like he's in the midst of a broken relationship, right? And he's going through this painful experience and his way of coping with that, his happiness uh, method is just to take shots like it's Novocaine, right? That's his way of doing it. That's the way of dealing with that suffering is, hey, we're going we're gonna to take enough substance that we're going to just numb the pain. And if we just have enough of it, then maybe we can forget about that suffering. Maybe we can just put it in the background and enjoy the moment. And I don't think that that is good enough for us. And as I'm looking around culture, I see two other responses that are pretty prevalent and have been for millennium. Uh, The first one is that we avoid pain. In any circumstance, we just avoid it. Wherever it is, we seek to get out of its path and we seek happiness at all costs. And no matter what avenue that we search for, we just want to devour that. We just want to get enough of it. And the concept is almost like the best defense is a good offense. If you can always be happy, if you can always go from one experience to the next, then you will be able to ignore that suffering and pretend it's not there. The other response has to do with becoming apathetic. And in this one, you just put up barriers and you stop letting things bother you and you just kind of get over it, right? And you just solidify inside and your heart turns to stone. And though you don't let anything else bother you, nothing else can penetrate that stone heart. That's the response. And what I see is that these just aren't good enough. They're not healthy either. Just from a counseling perspective, you shouldn't tell people to deal with pain in this way. It's unhealthy. Well, in order to know how to answer the question of pain and suffering, we need to turn to the scripture and see what is God's response to pain and suffering. Because a lot of people in this world will tell you that if God is good and if God is loving, then there's no way we should live in a world full of pain and suffering. There's no way. Because if he actually loved you, he wouldn't allow you to be in pain. So either he's not loving enough to remove that, or he's not powerful enough to remove that, or maybe both. But when we look through scripture, we see actually God's done a whole lot to address the problem of sin and pain. And we start in Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to start from the beginning. And in Genesis 1 and 2, you get the story creation account of how God created the world and everything in it, right? He's creating the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, animals, 
water, land, all of it. He's dividing it and he's just calling all of it good. He's saying, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. And then on the sixth day, you come to this point where he's going to create out of dust the pinnacle of creation, man. And it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. So man created man, uh, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And when he had done that, he said, this is very good. This is very good. And what we see in this word image is this gigantic theological question. What does that mean? And for millennium, for centuries, ever since this was written, people are being, well, what does that mean that man is created in the image of God? What does that mean? And I'm not going to solve that for you, but the one thing we do know is that it means that we represent God on this world. We are God's image bearers. And right after this verse, you get God's command to be fruitful, multiply, fill this world with my image. And as you're filling the earth with my image, reign over creation and animals and the plants and care for it. So the world can see the characteristics of God. Love, grace, mercy, care, kindness, gentleness, and be my images in this world. But already in chapter Three, you get something different. You get something that's against God's image. But as I think of this word image, I think, you know, this is the same thing that's happening at Texas A&M. It's the same thing. And in this video, this warm-up video they show, it says they're trying to reach out to 75,000 students. That's crazy. That's so many. All right? That is a gigantic number of students. And eventually, you guys will be able to, at one point, hopefully, cross your fingers, get an Aggie ring, graduate diploma, and go out into this world and represent A&M with your image, right? With the image of A&M, so you can look just like these guys. And you can display the majesty and perfection and wisdom and knowledge of A&M, right? Just like them, just like these guys who... Great, they look great. Uh, and as, as we think about this image, you know, because we are the Aggies. The Aggies are we. We're from Texas AMC, right? We're proud of that image. We love that image. But as you graduate college in your mid-20s, there's going to be one question that pops up more than any other question ever, and that's going to be, where did you go to college? You're going to get it all the time. Like, he's going to come before, like, what's your name? Before they even care about who you are, they're going to ask you where you went to college. And when you said, I go to Texas A&M, in that moment, you're going to either make a friend or a sworn enemy. <laughs> All right? I'm, I'm in Dallas and I already feel the wrath of Texas and Baylor grads, right? And they're like, ooh, A&M, gross. Go live on a farm. You know, that's, <laughs> that's really clever, Baylor fans. <laughs> <laughs> But as you graduate, you know, we go out into the world and we spread the image of A&M all over the world and Aggie rings and we get to see each other and represent each other and, and wear maroon, right, which is our color. Like, we, we own that color. That's us. And every time you see maroon shirt and Aggie ring, like, that's us. That's the image of A&M right there. And we're proud of that image. And then eventually when you have kids, you're going to force them to go here too. And that's the point, right? <laughs> that's the point of going here. Have kids and make them go too. Happen to me, right? It's going to happen to you too. Kids, all right? 
and in the same way, this is how we as humans represent God in the world. In the same way, as we go out and people see the characteristics of our Lord inside us, they can say, this guy represents God. Whenever they see love, that's God, right? We represent his image. But something happens in Genesis 3, and it says that the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, who are now created, and he's in the garden, and he's going to tempt them. He's going to tempt them to rebel against God and his commands, to disobey him. And he keeps on asking this one question. And it's a question he continually asks, even to this day. And what he asks is, did God really say that? Does God really care? Does God really have your interests in mind? Or is he lying? And in that moment, Adam and Eve are going to listen to that, and they're going to rebel. They're going to believe the serpent. And in that one tiny moment, though it seems tiny on the scale of human history, in that one moment, everything changes forever. And in that one rebellion, sin and evil and suffering and pain come into this world. And all of us bear that mistake. All of us bear that rebellion. And you see next chapter and throughout scripture how men treat each other. We murder, we cheat, we steal, we lie, we commit adultery. We harm each other, we do evil to each other, we cause suffering to each other. We are the reason why suffering exists, not God. We are the reason why. And though we were supposed to be image bearers of this God who is good and great, we suddenly bear the image of everything that he is not. We're evil. And we hate. And we're selfish. We'll fast forward to our own day and we see this all around us, right? You see suffering everywhere. You see it in Las Vegas, right? You see it in the hurricanes that hit Houston and Florida. You see it in Puerto Rico. And that's just things that have happened recently. We've been around for a while and things aren't getting better. Suffering just seems to get worse. And yet, as men look towards God, we have the audacity to blame our creator for the things that we've done. And we say, how can you allow us to live in this world full of suffering? When in reality, we are the reason why it exists. We don't take the responsibility for our actions. And evil men lay charge against a good God. And we blame them for the consequences of our own actions. Well, in Dallas, I am with the high schoolers at Grace Bible Church in Dallas. But I used to work with middle school kids. And middle school kids, if you forgot what they look like, look kind of like this. (laughs) Except that this picture is completely incorrect because guys and girls are in the same picture. And that is... Never going to happen, right? (laughs) Never happens in middle school, I'll tell you that. Uh, And even though this picture, they look like they're happy and smiling, on the inside, they're full of a dark evil, right? You've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been in middle school. We've all ruined people's lives. Okay, wait, maybe not. (laughs) But middle schoolers, all right, they have one thing they love to do, and that's throw stuff. It's basically the basis of their existence. They see a football, they're going to throw it at someone. Maybe not even when they're looking, but they're going to throw it at them, right? They're going to throw basketballs, frisbees, dodgeballs. If they find something, they'll even just throw each other at each other. It's nuts. 
And in middle school ministry, you just got to get used to the fact that things are going to get thrown around. Well, our room in Dallas is not situated or designed in a way to cope with this mass chaos. And we have these lights that hang down, kind of like these lights. They're cans and they hang from the ceiling. And anytime that you have people throwing stuff and things hanging from the ceiling, it's a bad combination. And every once in a while, like every day, some middle schooler will think he's Tom Brady and say, you know what, this ball's going outside of the ceiling. And he just revs up and he just releases it and it jacks that light fixture. And it falls to the ground and it, I wish it just exploded for dramatic effect, but it crashes, breaks, light glass goes everywhere, metal, it's broken. And then everyone just stops. And they look at me and I, I look at Jimmy Jimmy the kid, Jimmy the middle school kid. And I say, Jimmy, come on. Come on, Jimmy, let's talk. And Jimmy comes over and I said, all right, Jimmy, what happened? And he said, well, the light fixture fell. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, Jimmy, I don't know a ton about light fixtures, but I know that they aren't given moral free will. I know they can't make decisions on their own. And I'm pretty sure that this light fixture didn't just decide that he's breaking free from the ceiling. This is my one shot, guys. I'm taking it. And crash to the floor. I'm pretty sure that's not how light fixtures work, Jimmy. So what happened? And he said, okay, fine. The football hit the light fixture. (laughs) Jimmy. Jimmy, once again, football. Can't decide. Can't fly on its own. It can't make decisions. It can't do it. Jimmy, what happened to that light fixture? Oh, you know what? I threw the football, and it hit the light fixture, and it almost killed somebody. (laughs) All right? And I get to in that moment be like, well, Jimmy, see here? It's not the light fixture's fault. It's not the football's fault. It's your fault. (laughs) And then we take him straight to jail. (laughs) Not coming around here anymore. All right? You're going to break life in my building? You get out. All right? Well, we are all like Jimmy, right? We are all Jimmy in the sense that we love to lay blame away from our own actions, right? We like whenever we are responsible with something, we love to cast that blame on something else. Adam did it with Eve. Eve did it with the serpent. Happened from the very beginning. We cast that blame. We cast that responsibility on someone else. We are the child who doesn't take responsibility but blames, blame others. So why does suffering exist? Because we brought it in. It exists because we exist. And when God gave us the choice to love him or not love him, we chose to not love him. And we chose to love ourselves. And in that moment of disobedience, we brought in all the sin and all the suffering. In that original act, we see it all. So how does God react? His original and initial reaction is to show grace. And I love that. Even though Adam and Eve deserve death, they get grace. And though he has to cast them out of that garden, even though he has to show judgment, he makes them close and he sends them out and he still cares for them. And I love that. Because what would, just, would be easier to do for him was just blow it up. Just start over again, Right? Just say, if they're going to disobey me, I might as well just start over. I've made five universes today. I might as well just make another one. 
right? They're going to act like that. They're going to do that apple thing, right? I'm just going to make another one. But what we see about God, what we see about creation, what we see about ourselves, is we're all created with an eternal soul. We can't be destroyed because we are living for eternity, whether it's one way or the other. So God can't destroy us because he made us forever to exist. And so instead of punishing us, instead of destroying us, instead of doing any of that, what he does is he shows grace. And he says, you know what? Even though you chose to disobey me, even though I gave the freedom for you to choose and you chose the other way, I still choose you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to make a plan to bring you back. And I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to remove all the pain and all the suffering away from you and make you mine again. And what we see, his initial reaction is to show grace. In the future, you get a different reaction. Because eventually, God is going to come and he's going to judge this evil. He's going to judge it because he can't let it last forever. He's a holy and good God. And in his holiness, he can't allow sin to exist forever. So while he shows grace for a time, he must at some point come in and judge it. And it's his mercy and grace that he hasn't done it already. And you see that he is going to come and he's going to judge it and he's going to remove all this evil and suffering and pain from creation. And I don't have the verse, but in Revelation 21, you can, towards the end of scripture, and you get this verse, and it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The day is coming when sin and suffering and pain will be no more. And he invites all those who believe in his son live with him in this creation. We know that God has a plan. He has a response, and he is going to take care of this evil and suffering. So from the past of Adam and Eve all the way to the future coming judgment, what is his response now? What is his in-between response? You see, in the present, he sends his son. In the entirety of Scripture, all of Testament, both Testaments, are going to center on the fact that someone is coming to save us, and that someone is God. And in the New Testament, even in the midst of confusion, you see that he sends his son to die for us. And the entire time he's on this planet, his whole life is filled with suffering and pain. From the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders of the day, he is mocked. Eventually, he's arrested in Jerusalem. He's tortured in front of the Romans. He's put on a cross, which is the most excruciating and horrific way to die, as you slowly suffocate to death, as you bleed out at the same time. But what's worse than the pain, and we don't understand this as much because we don't live in an honor-based system, is that the cross was ultimately humiliating. Because everyone watched you die and you were unclothed. And they mocked you and they made fun of you. And only the lowest class of people could even have this done to them. It was illegal for Romans. And what you get is the Son of God comes to restore us, comes to banish the sin and suffering, and we kill him. We kill him. When his response was love, our response. Is hate because we're evil. So why did he do it? Why did he die? 
Well, in God's grace uh, for my life, I have the privilege and honor of being engaged to this wonderful woman, Savannah. And this last week, she has been sick, just gross sick, like bad, right? Like the sick no one wants to have or be, ever. And as I'm caring for her, and it's hard to see someone suffer in sickness. It's hard because, you know, you're used to going on like date nights and eating food and watching Netflix or whatever people do. Uh, and you're used to doing all this, but in this moment when they're sick, they just can just lie there and drink water and sleep, right? That's it. That's it. But at least I know that she'll get better. Eventually, the sickness will leave, right? Eventually, the bug will be gone, the fever will break, the pain will leave. But when it comes to sin, there is no cure for this. There is no restoration that we can come up with. There's no way we can respond. We don't get over it. It doesn't pass. And if there is no outside solution, then we're doomed. Doomed not just to suffer in this life, but suffer an even greater amount in the next one when we are fully separated from God forever. And what we see is Jesus comes in and he is the solution to the sickness. He is the outsider that comes into this body and heals it. So why did he die? He suffered to buy us freedom from sin because we were enslaved to it. It was our master and he set us free and he ended the rebellion in our hearts. And when we believe in that death and resurrection, then that sin, that rebellion is washed away. We are clean and we can be in a relationship with our father like we were meant to be from the start. And we can know him and not just know him for a moment, but know him for all of eternity as our eternal soul he gave us is now in fellowship with our God. And our life has found its purpose. We found the reason for our design to be with God, to fellowship with him. And we, one day, will be restored and get to be with our Savior forever and enjoy that. So, what do we do now? As believers in this gospel message, as people who still live in a world full of pain and suffering, we notice it's not going away. Right? Even if you believe in this gospel message, you still continue to suffer. You still continue to feel pain and suffering. What do you do now? What's our response? Well, throughout the New Testament, you get... One command from Paul over and over and over and over again. And as he writes to Timothy, he says, share in the sufferings of Christ. Endure these sufferings. Endure them because it's all worth it. In 2 Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthians who also have a problem with the suffering they're experiencing in their lives. And he says, of his own ministry, he's talking about his own suffering. And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that he endures suffering so that the life of Christ can be displayed. When you're willing to suffer, when you're willing to give everything for a message, 
then you really got to believe in that message, right? You really got to believe that that message is true. Because that means that the benefits are outweighing the cost. And if the cost is giving your life, then this message must be greater than life. It must be greater. So if I see you and you're suffering for this gospel, if you're suffering for this Jesus that you believe in, then I know that it's true. Because in your suffering, you display the life of Christ. And I want what you have. And when the world doesn't have a good response to sin and suffering, you seem to have hope. And you seem to be able to see the light. And I want that light. I want it as badly as I can imagine. I want to be free from this suffering. You have that hope. I want you to tell me about it. I want you to tell me about it. And Paul says, next in Corinthians, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And he's saying that though this life might seem hard, though the sufferings that you endure seem gigantic, seem like gigantic mountains that you have to climb. It is all worth the glory that is prepared for you in eternity with Jesus. As you're restored and you're giving in a new body and we celebrate and worship together as one church, we will experience the glory of God in ways that we never have on this world. And we understand that life of Christ displayed in the body of death. We receive glory. And that's why we do it. Why do you endure suffering? To display the life of Christ and to receive the glory that's coming. You have hope in the midst of this. When I was here at a as a student and graduated in 2010, it's been a while, whoop, all right? And, and when I was here, I was, uh, I think I said this earlier, I was a PPA student, accounting, all right, right? Oh, amen, all right? Uh, and then didn't do it at all. All right, when did ministry. So, good luck. Uh, I hope you do well. Uh, and in PPA, there's this one finance class called investments. And uh, it was super interesting. But the philosophy behind investing in like the stock market or whatever you're investing in is that you're going to maximize your gains while minimizing your losses. All right, you want the most of what benefits you, and the least of what costs you. It's pretty simple. You're all business students now. Welcome. You're welcome for that. It's free. All right? And I think when I see Christians living in this world, and I think this is super easy in called station. I've been here. As we become great portfolio managers of our faith, where we maximize all the things we see good about our faith. We maximize, and we love that God is, is gracious. We love that God is merciful. We love that God is loving. We love to center our beliefs on that. We love to volunteer in ministries. We love to have quiet times on that couch with a cup of coffee. We love to have those conversations with our friends about it. We love Bible studies. We love all of it. But when it comes to sacrificing, and when it comes to losing, we run away from that. And we say, you know what? I don't want to do that because I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to go talk to him. I don't want to go to that country on that mission trip. I can't afford that. I don't want to give money to the church. That seems ridiculous to me. I don't want to sacrifice. And what you get is the most selfish version of God. And we create that. 
That's not him. That's us. And we're unwilling to lose for our Savior. We maximize what we see as good and we minimize the pain. And we become timid. So the question I ask, have for you today is where are you losing? Where is your faith costing you? Where are you sacrificing for Jesus? Because if God's response to suffering is to come and die for you, what is your response? What is your response? I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the fact that you do address the problem of pain and suffering in the world. That you've come, you sent your son to die for us. And we know that when we believe in that death and resurrection, we are free from that sin. And that we will not suffer for eternity. That we will know life with you. A weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then it's that hope that drives us forward. It's that hope that we cling to. And we pray that in the midst of suffering, when we engage with it, that you would give us the strength, that you'd give us clarity of words, that your spirit would fill us, that we'd preach the gospel with confidence, so that the life of Christ would be displayed in us in these bodies of death. Would you take a moment and would you pray for yourself? Pray for your faith. If you don't know Christ and his forgiveness, that you would understand that God had a solution to the pain in your life and he's offering it now. Forgiveness from sin. And if you do know Christ and his forgiveness, then what is your response to it? And would you pray for the moments and the opportunities would come that God would put people in your life where you can share this gospel, where you can suffer for his name, where you can give of yourself, time, energy, resources, and display the life of Christ. God, we love you and we trust you. We're thankful for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.